You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. We're going to be in Joshua today. Uh, again, Joshua chapter 2. I'm not going to start reading there. I'm going to actually read from Psalm 121. You'll, you'll see the tie-in because I want the focus in Joshua on the Lord. But I think Psalm 121, along with other psalms, sets us up well for that. If you want to go to 121, you can. Look with me and then that's where I'll read from. And then we'll really just kind of work through the text today. It's a longer text, and we're just gonna we're gonna work through it. So, um, beginning one twenty one. But as you're going there, let's just show our picture from last week. I don't think Elisha is here, but she drew this for me and turned it in. I had a couple others turn in your pictures last week or last night, and uh, thank you, kids, for that. But Elisha has one here, and it has this is God over on the right side, and on the left is. Assume us, and she caught the message. We will do whatever you want. I think it's us to do or you want done. We'll do whatever you want done, Lord. That message of even those tribes on that eastern side of the Jordan saying, we'll do whatever you go, whatever you say, Joshua will do. And really, we're under the Lord. We want to obey. So I appreciate her drawing that. Listen to God's word just as a preface to where we'll be today. Psalm 121 says this. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this this time forth and forevermore. Let me pray again for us. Lord, as we dive in now to the second chapter of Joshua, just echoing what Milton's already prayed, that you would work by your Spirit in my heart and the hearts of those listening as we look over your word, as we think about this God of the hills from where our help comes from, this God who is present with us through Jesus Christ, a God in whom we can proclaim we don't need to be afraid because we trust in you. Lord, lead us through this text for understanding, for wisdom, for insight. Lord, keep me from words that would distract from your glory. Fill this place Lord, with your glory, may your Holy Spirit work here, we pray in your name. Amen. Well, Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. We're looking at all of it here today. Look at verse 1. If you can be there, Joshua 2, just the first verse begins like this. Joshua, at least part of it. Joshua, the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. Perhaps you can imagine the scene on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Word has gone out through the camp of Israel. Get your provisions together. In three days, we're crossing this Jordan on our way into the promised land. Perhaps the camp is full of that. Activity, however many were there, maybe some two million like we've talked about. 
There's anticipation. And then Joshua pulls these two men aside. We don't know their names. They're just called two men, interestingly. Joshua has a secret mission for them. It's kind of like a modern-day spy thriller. They're to head behind enemy lines. They're to gather some intel. That's not a Hebrew translation. That's my idea. Some intel in the land, and then they're going to come back and report to Joshua, perhaps the old CIA of of Israel here. Um, They're going to go in. I wonder if Joshua in choosing these two men, had any uh, reservations. I'm just going to grab a tissue here so I don't sniffle through our time. I wonder if he was thinking about sending them in and a little bit worried. Remember this? This is the guy 40 years prior that had gone in with the, along with the 12. He was one of the 12, him and Caleb, went in to spy out the same land. And remember they came back with the report, hey, it all looks good except the the ten of them said, it's scary. I wonder if that went through his mind on this now second mission to spy out the land. Is there any worry of what maybe would happen? But here he was. He was now in charge. He's preparing the people to go into the land. And part of that preparation was this, to send two men in. I don't think he was disobeying the Lord or doubting. It was just, this is part of of good uh, warfare, if you will, or taking the land is to spy out. Where are the weakness? What do we need to find here? And so he sends them in. Look at the rest of the verse. Here they go now. And so the second part of the verse, they come to Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. These men end up in the town of Jericho. They've crossed the Jordan some point, somewhere, secretly made their way to this town. And so we learn they're in a house of a prostitute, which was and is a tragic profession, a job. And yet I don't take it to mean these men uh, used her services of Rahab at all. Perhaps as one commentator talked about, perhaps Rahab's house was like a, a tavern, tavern or a hostel, maybe rather than a brothel. I don't, I don't know. We don't know what it was. We know it's a house and she's listed here. The text is clear about who this woman was, even naming her and then giving her occupation. She's Rahab. She's a prostitute who gives herself to men for immoral purposes. And yet... God is at work here. He's at work sovereignly. In this chapter, in this book, throughout all of Scripture, God has been at work on the eastern side of the Jordan. He'll he'll be and He has been at work on the western side in Jericho. But for now, these spies are lodged in her house and the threat is about to emerge. Look at verse 2. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. We can speculate about this king of Jericho. Perhaps he had been dreading this day. Spies now from this group that they've heard about and camped across the Jordan, they're now in his city. It would seem like they're on the move. Now that day of them coming in that they dreaded is upon them. 
So what king would not desire to protect his land and his city? And so he sets in motion really the conflict of the narrative that we're in. Question for us now, I mean, we know the story, but the question right here is, will these spies be found out? Is Rahab the prophet, is she going to give them up? Say, here you go, take these guys. Or will God be with them in this foreign land? Verse 4 and following, answer. But the woman who had taken the two men and hidden them, oh, I'm sorry, but the woman had taken, there you go, had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, I think that's kind of areas where you could cross. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Rahab answers the king, yes, yeah, they came, but I don't know where they are. And so she leads really the men of Jericho on a wild goose chase while she protects these two men up on a roof in this flax, which one reading I saw is maybe it's, it's up there drying, so it's kind of a mess. Somebody compared it to pig slop maybe on the roof that's drying. I don't know what that was like, but perhaps they didn't smell so good, but at least they were hidden, and she kept them hidden. Next week, we're gonna, there's too much here to look at in one Sunday, so we're going to extend this, and next week we're going to look more at Rahab in particular. She shows up in, obviously, other scriptures. We see her again. And we're also going to raise this question for next week. I'm not dealing with it this week. But here's the question. Rahab here, just from the text, Rahab just lied to these men. She said, yes, they came. Well, that was true. And then, no, they left and they're out of here. Well, she knew very well where they were. She lied. And so I think a question can come here, as it may in other places of Scripture. Is God okay with this? Is this it's in Scripture. Is he okay with a woman lying? And this in, in our Holy Scripture. There's deception here. Is that, is that right? Is, it, is, is there a certain cause it's okay to lie? And questions can come up. And so we're going to just let that question stew. You can think on it this week and think of how you might answer that. And Lord willing, next week we'll get into that. But for now, we just want to notice here in this text, there's a prostitute that takes in these spies. Hides them. She lies to send the king on his way. God had gone before Israel and these two men. Here's what one commentator, A.W. Pink, says. He says, when, quote, when God works, he always works at both ends of the line. Before these two men set foot in Jericho, the Lord had already wrought signally and savingly in the heart of Rahab. What he's saying, God was at work at both ends, both sides of the Jordan, if you will. God's not just at work in the camp of the Israelites and hoping something happens over here, if you will, if this is Jericho. He's at work on both ends of the line. That's who our God is. And Rahab, I believe, she was already stirred by the Lord before these spies ever got there. 
God had gone before them. And God, by way of application, used a prostitute to save the lives of his people. Never count out of question the people God can use for his kingdom purposes. We watched a great movie last night. I appreciate Brandon and Carrie and the youth putting it on for us. And maybe they'll do it again and, and show it again. You've, some of you have seen the movie. I can only imagine. And one of my favorite parts in that movie to see again even the second time, just even maybe more meaningful, was this turnaround from this guy that wrote that song, I Can Only Imagine. His dad, he called his dad a monster. Monster of a man. Drew a picture of him kind of laying next to this monster. That's who his dad was. And it recounts kind of, I mean, the stories about him and the song and all this, but within that, there's a story of redemption of this monster of a man being changed by the gospel of Jesus and changing from monster um, to this guy's best friend. And we were all like, you know, doing this, right? Tearing up. And it was, just a, it was a neat to see. But I think we, we love to see that because that's what God does. He rescues sinners like that gentleman, like that guy's father, like monsters, like prostitutes, like you, like me, and uses them for his glory. Hopefully we'll talk more about that next week as well. Well, after the men head out, the men, the pursuers, they leave. We're going to join Rahab back on the roof, and we get some more background to the sovereign work of God already in the land. Look at verses 8 and 9. Before the men lay down, she, that's Rahab again, came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. The men find out this is a land in fear. Not that people of Jericho or the other the Canaanites are not going to fight, but in reality, they have melted from before the Lord. And I like that word. We're learning in sciences. I'm helping to teach some of our kids science this year. The, the three states, there might be more, but three for us uh, of, a, of a, an object, the, the solid, remember this, and liquid and the gas, right? And in order to get the solid to the liquid, there's got to be some thermal energy, some heat going on. We're, we're in the solid phase. Everything is frozen around us, and we'll be freezing more and more. Uh, it's good if you like ice skating, bad for other things. So, but it's in that solid. And until heat comes on that ice, it's going to stay that way. It's almost as if here the thermal energy of God has gone into this land, and they are melting before the people before the people of Israel. God's gone before them. Verse 10 tells us how this has happened. It says this, For we have heard, so Rahab's still talking, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og. Remember that king? Whom you devoted to destruction. They have heard about it. Word of the work of the Lord God had reached their ears. The news spread. The Lord dried up a sea. He defeated these two kings. There was no need for Israel to launch a propaganda campaign or, or distribute flyers over the land that says, we're coming, you better watch out for us. 
God had gone before them with the word of his glory of what he had done. And the people had heard about it. And they'd heard of these works of God. And verse 11 explains their reaction. She says, and as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Rahab sounds the words of truth that I think ought to echo throughout this whole passage and throughout our lives. The Lord, your God, he is God of the heavens and he's God of the earth below. What a truth this is. He is God. I mean, there's so much. We can run over that so quickly. Say, what does that mean? He's God. He's over everything. Everything he does has a plan and a purpose. Nothing is outside of his control. And it's spoken by a prostitute. I think even this declares the greatness of our God. The God of Israel is none other than the God of all. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. God's works precede him. They proclaim who he is and the people melt away and tremble. Think about our own lives. May we be part of this proclamation. Lives that proclaim our God as the God of the heavens and earth who does great and mighty things, who rescues sinners from death, gives them life in Jesus Christ. And I encourage you, myself, be faithful to follow Jesus. May those around you witness the greatness of the Lord in your life. May His greatness, may perhaps how we talk of God. Oh, I remember He did this. and He's done this and He saved me. And that word and that proclaiming and then the hearing of who our great God is. Well, as we continue in the text, we come back now to verse 12. Really, now up till 21, verse 21, there's, there's this exchange of oaths, kind of this swearing, not bad swearing, swearing oaths going on. Rahab is seeking deliverance. She's seeking salvation, if you will, for her and her house so that when, not if, but when Israel comes in and conquers, she and her family are going to be saved from death. That's what she's seeking. So look at verse 12. She says, Now then, please, to these spies, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Rahab is asking here that with the same kindness she has shown to these men, they might show it to her and to her family. And so they swear. They swear by their own lives, even to death. If you don't talk, if you don't rat us out, when the Lord gives us this land, we're going to deal kindly and faithfully with you. The same wording here is the way that God deals with us. It talks about his kindness and his steadfast love for us. 
I believe it to be kind of a, a covenantal, promise-type kindness and faithfulness. It's our oath with it. We're going to show you kindness and faithfulness, and by our word and our oath, by our very lives, we're going to do this for you. We covenant to be kind. We pledge your safety, Rahab. And so Rahab continues then to help these spies and now to get them back to safety. Look at verse 15. Then she let them down by a rope through the window. For her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. She's helping them. She's helping them not only be quiet, not say anything, but here's an idea. I live by the wall. Here's a window. Here's a rope. We don't know where the rope is from. It's for an escape. Perhaps it was used in her business. I don't know where this rope came from, but she's got it. Maybe it provided an easy means out of the wall or in the house, something like that. We don't know. But that's what she gives these guys, and it's God's grace. It's a means of escape for them. She gives them instructions. Go to the hills. Don't just go. Go out here. Wait three days. They're going to come back, and then you can go. Perhaps she knew what they would do. You see these men kind of repelling down. I don't know how tall it was. Going down the side with the rope, and they're escaping. God was with them. But, but then there's some further instructions, and so we don't know the timing here. Were they on the rope, and she's saying, hey, you know, or, and they're saying, one last thing, or maybe they're together. I think they're probably together here. We just think back. And there's some further instructions. These men had given their pledge of protection, but now they're going to get specific. Look at verses 17, then I'll read through 20. The men said to her, so whether they're still hanging by the rope or they're, they're still up there, and then they go down, they said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. In other words, if you say this, we're out. The oath is canceled and we're not responsible. One commentary says this, In conclusion, the spies guarded by this, what we just read here, the spies guarded against any arbitrary interpretation and application of their oath by imposing three conditions on the non-fulfillment of which they would be released from their oath. They say three, I don't know, you can see four in here, conditions of this oath. What are the conditions? What are the specifics? In other words, they're giving a certain clarity to the promise. It's kind of like a, a wedding day covenant or promise in a marriage where, you know, will you? Yes, will you? Yes. But then there, there's the vows, there's the in sickness and in hell. It gets specific. whether you're rich, whether you're poor, all those sorts of specific things, till death do us part, that sort of thing. They they give, those things give a certain clarity 
to what you're committing to. It's not, we're not just committing to, yeah, I hope it works out. It's till death. It's in sickness. It's in health. If we've got money, if we don't have money, it's a covenant. It's a promise. There's clarity. And so there's these conditions the, for Rahab, for her deliverance. Number one is to tie this scarlet cord in the window. Uh, whether this is the same rope, I don't know, the rope that they were using and it's scarlet, maybe they had ropes with them. They, it's just part of your spy gear going into the land. You bring a rope, I could see that. Whatever it was, it was scarlet and it's put into the window and it ensures that the destruction of the land will pass by this house. And the walls come, and I don't know that these guys know right now the walls are coming down, but it's going to pass by Rahab's house. With the scarlet. Have you heard that language before? Something red, something passing by. Think back to the Exodus and the houses with the blood of the lamb coming out of Egypt, the angel of death passing over those houses with the blood on them. Think even of our Savior and the foreshadowing, perhaps, of us being covered by the blood of Christ, the Lamb of God. And in that we escape destruction and we live forever in the presence of the Lord. Condition number two, get everybody in your house. They need to be in the house. Here we see her whole household, probably a house of sin, who knows, going to be saved out of all the other sinners in the land. We can ask, was Rahab worthy of this? No, I think the text is clear of what her occupation was. It's not a worthiness. So how can this be? It's the sovereign will of God to save some out of their sin and their household while the rest of the city is destroyed. This particular one is saved. And she proclaimed God, I think, as her Lord. We hear something similar even in Peter's words to a Philippian jailer in Acts 16. There's this account. Then, then he, this jailer, brought out uh, Peter and uh, forget who else he was with, but they brought them out and said, said to them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, this jailer, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. In the same way, the household of Rahab would be, in a sense, saved. They needed to put their trust in the same Lord. But in a sense, this household would be saved. Everybody in it. Her faith to leave the gods of her land and I believe follow the God of Jacob. Hebrews 11.31 says, By faith Rahab, this is New Testament, that Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. You might say she saw who God was, the Lord was. She welcomed them. Salvation is in the house with the scarlet cord. If you go outside, you're on your own. Seemingly, you're going to perish out there. You stay in the house, your safety is guaranteed. And then one more thing they tell her. Keep this business quiet. 
for the sake of this promise. Don't say anything. Remember, don't say a word. Rahab's already proven, I think, she can do this, but it needed to be said as part of the oath. And so in verse 21, Rahab confirms the promise. Here's what she says. And she said, verse 21, according to your words, so be it. Now accept, here's the oath, here's what we're going to do. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. I don't think she took much time at all to say, I'm being sure that this thing is seen couple thoughts as we too are made in the image of a covenant-keeping God. We too are to keep our oaths, our promises, the pledges that we make. What we say is what we will do. What we promise those here that are married, what we have promised that we will be faithful to. We'll be faithful to our oaths. And then briefly, to think about this as well, Rahab's deliverance, the saving of Rahab, is in fact Israel's salvation because we find in the genealogy of our Savior, in Matthew 1.5, that if you go back, you find in the line of Jesus, the earthly line, there's a prostitute back there named Rahab. In reality... By God's sovereign decree, one scarlet cord, you might say, saves the life of the line of Jesus. God is sovereign. He's over this to even a minute detail of a scarlet cord, saving a household, that the seed of the woman would come and crush the head of that serpent. Verses 22 then and 23 Tell a bit of the spies' adventure before they get to go home. 22, they departed. They went into the hills. They remained there three days until the pursuers returned and the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. I wonder God was hiding them. Verse 23, then the two men returned. They came down from the hills, passed over, and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. For three days they hide out till these pursuers return home and they come to Joshua. And they proclaim to be what I believe is the point of this passage. It's kind of laid out here in verse 24. And they said to Joshua, truly, and here's the report, truly the Lord. This is Yahweh, our personal God, the God who called us out of you. This Lord has given all the land into our hands and also or moreover, or certainly might say, there's a surety, all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. The land is given by God. He has gone before them, and it sits open. How do they know? How does Joshua know? How do, these, how do they know? The inhabitants are melting away before them. God has gone before his people in his faithfulness to his promises. Well, as we close here, and again next week, we're going to stay here in this chapter and wrestle through some of these ethical questions of Rahab and the lie and then look at even, hopefully, her life a little bit. But I think by way of application for us today, just one last application, it would be dangerous today to proclaim here that given enough faith or enough prayer, 
you too can go in to conquer your Jericho. That'd be dangerous to state. Uh, your enemy will melt before you. It, it did happen here, but this is a narrative, and the narrative is to teach us something about, something about men and something about God, the Lord God. Not necessarily to give us a formula for success, like when you're in a battle, go find the house, the prostitute with the rope, and that's, gonna, that's how you do it. It's, there's teaching here. I think we may face and will face persecution, even death for following Jesus. And not every enemy presently will melt for now before us. I think our formula, as we look at this, comes from the fact that we can, just as Israel could, we can count on the promises of God to us. Just by way of reminder, a couple of them. A God who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. A God who says in the book of John, but to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Children of God to those that believe. Or Jesus who says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. We may face certain enemies. We may face certain trials and persecutions. Christian life is not trialless or dangerous, or dangerlessness, or, or without danger. Let me say it that way. But we have a faithful, covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God who goes before us, and we can trust Him. Let me pray for us. Lord, remind us daily, and if it takes trials to remind us, then, Lord, bring them that we would be reminded of how great you are and we would come and worship to you. Lord, thank you for this account, a true account. Thank you for the way you take a broken sinner like a prostitute and you use them for your glory. And You can write what we've made wrong through the scarlet cord of Jesus. So, Lord, I pray that we would cling to Christ where all the promises find their yes in Him, all Your promises. Lord, that whom You call and who comes to You, You will never cast out. Lord, may we not doubt that promise, but give us faith to trust in Your promises that are true and to rest in the God that goes before us. We praise You, our God. In Jesus' name.